This year is set to be an exciting one for sports fans with the Paris Olympics happening in July. The Olympic Games, as you know, are so much bigger than a sporting event. When the whole world comes together like this every four years, there are incredible stories that come out of the Games. So in the lead up to Paris 2024, we're going to take a journey through each of the modern Olympics to hear some of those stories from the first Games in 1896 all the way through to Tokyo in 2021. And of course, if you were with us last week, we did the entire ancient Olympics in one fell swoop. And if you missed it, you can catch up on the podcast. So we'll be looking at a different Olympics every week, right up to the Paris opening ceremony in July. Your guide is going to be Professor Richard Cashman, who's a sports historian in the School of Business at the University of Technology in Sydney. Hello, Richard. Welcome to Nightlife. Good evening. How did you become so fascinated with the Games? Well, I'm a sports historian, so I've always been interested in the Olympics, but I was director of the Centre for Olympic Studies at UNSW from 1996 to 2004 and uh, very much involved in the Sydney Olympics and then I was director at UTS until 2013 but I'm still involved they've got a centre there. So when you say you're involved in the 2000 Games what what kind of involvement? In so many different ways we had conferences we hosted international scholars I ran with the torch the day before the Games. So you've been steeped in the Olympics for a long long time. Yes. Let's um, going to go back because we'll start tonight with the 1896 Athens Games, the first of the modern Olympics. And we talked last week about the ancient Games. And I guess the idea of the ancient Games had really stuck around for a long time. People knew about it. So how did that come together as an idea to to resurrect the Games? Mainly due to the efforts of Pierre de Coubertin, a wealthy baron French man. He had a the idea of reviving the games, but it was a different games from the ancient games that he was thinking of. The ancient games had a lot of religion in it and it had quite different events. And uh, Pierre de Coubertin wanted to use the Olympics to encourage ethical behaviour in sport. He was very keen on amateurism and thought the Olympic Games could help educate the youth. But he did decide to keep a link to the ancient Olympics, didn't he? Um, Why didn't he just create a new Games that that were sort of without that historical reference? Because the ancient Games were very symbolic. It gave the modern Olympics much more kudos because the modern Olympics can say that they go back to 776 BC. I think he he liked the idea of uh, bowing to antiquity while he was changing the the type of games they had um cycling and fencing and tennis modern sports that weren't known in uh, Greece in 776 the full list was how many sports nine at those nine sports? nine sports there were several athletics and wrestling were part of the ancient games the other ones were um cycling fencing shooting tennis and uh, weightlifting so in terms of global support. I mean, how far and wide did did Baron de Coubertin actually look for people to participate? Because these first games weren't nearly as global as they are today. De Coubertin actually hoped the first games would be at Paris in 1900, but the Greeks were very keen to have them. And communication in that era was very difficult. I mean, he... de Coubertin travelled to various countries and it was quite complicated to get people to come. As it was... 
uh, the first games, there was a, a, about 3.11. We don't know precisely because people could just turn up and join in the games, of which uh, 2.22 were Greeks and only 89 from other countries. Oh, wow. All right. So it wasn't very much a Greek Olympics, that first one. Yes, but the, the Greeks didn't do that well. The Americans uh, won nine of the 12 track events and the Greeks sort of did reasonably poorly, but fortunately... They won the prestigious event of the Games, the marathon. Ah, of course. Well, that was the one that they invented, wasn't it? Well, it was based on the famous run of Pheidippides in 490 BC. And he ran from Marathon to Athens and he declared, we've beaten the Persians. And then, according to legend, he dropped dead. (laughs) So it was a dramatic intervention. So if de Coubertin wanted the first games to be in Paris, how did they end up in, in Greece? Did the Greeks say, hang on, this is our thing, we're going to do it? Or how did that all play out? Oh, the Greeks lobbied to have the games because the uh, they were the site of the ancient Olympics and so they had a case. I'm not sure that of all the politics that went on, but uh, they persuaded de Coubertin to go along with it. Athens as the first modern Olympics. Did they have to build a lot of new stadia? Obviously, it wasn't ancient uh, Olympia that they were using. Was the yeah? What did they need in terms of infrastructure? They had a stadium, the Panathenaic Stadium, which was built in 330 BC and used for games similar to the Olympics, but they weren't the Olympics. But it was excavated in. 1870, and the Greek government was pretty close to insolvency, but they found a very wealthy donor, George Averoff, who donated a huge amount of money to restore uh, what was a marble stadium. Very interesting stadium. I've been there. It's kind of rectangular, narrow across the middle, and then curved at the end. So when the athletes run around the 200 metres, they have to slow down at the bends (laughs) because... And when the Australian won the 800 metres, he actually ran four laps because it was only 200 metres. Oh, wow. So he had to run that. Now, that was Edwin Flack, wasn't yes. it? Tell us, uh, tell us about him. The authorities sent out invitations to the Australian Athletic Association, but they were all, at that time, they were state ones, inviting people to attend. But, of course, it cost a lot of money. So, mm. so Australia didn't have a team. But Edwin Flack was working at an accountancy firm in London, so he took a month's holiday. <laughs> and he loved going to Greece, so he went there. He went in the 800 metres, which he won, the 1500 metres, which he won. He went in the marathon, which he had to pull out of. And then he joined, he played tennis, individual Wow. Tennis, and he came third with the German in the tennis. He was an absolute all-rounder then. Yes, he, he was. But we're very fortunate because we have a record mm. of being the only country, along with Greece, to have appeared in every summer games. And Edwin Flack ensured that we started off well. Mm. Now, would he have been training, or is this just a guy with some natural ability who thinks, I'll just hot-foot it over to Greece and see what happens? I think he had an athletic background mm. and he he would have participated in many sports and the idea of the Olympic Games appealed to him. So he got himself over there off his own bat and um, signed up for these various events. Mm. And uh, I think in 1896, you could virtually just turn up. 
<laughs> didn't even have to, yeah, well, I guess try out for your national team. Or There was no national team. Yeah. There were no national teams. There was only one. Hungary had a national team. But all the others, the Americans were mainly from a small number of colleges mm-hmm. who, who uh, went to the Olympic Games. They didn't have a national team. We're talking to Richard Cashman, who's a sports historian, and he's going to be our guest talking us through the various Olympics as we head to Paris 2024. How much coverage would this event have had? I mean, obviously there's no live TV, there's not even radio. Would everyone, what was the sort of the level of coverage and where people would have known about it? I think the level of coverage would have been very limited. Mm -hmm. The Greeks, the Athenians knew about it. And then the first day, 60,000 people turned up, which was quite a big number. The stadium was filled. But print media would be the means by which people found out. That's a very interesting question. I don't know really when people found out in Australia that Edwin Flack had been so successful, uh, presumably cables were sent. But we didn't even have an Australian Olympic Committee because uh, Australia was not a federation yeah. in 1896. Quite. It was just I like that Edwin had been in, in London and decided to go over on his own bat. Wow. Was he, when did he come back to Australia? I'm not sure. I'd have to look up about yeah. that. Just wondering what kind of reception he got when he, um, when he got home. I'm sure he, he, he would have got a huge reception because it was an international event and uh, he performed so well. And he's the only, we only had one athlete and he came away with two, two, well, they didn't have gold medals then. They, they got wreaths and things like that, but he, he was very successful. Now, some of the other trappings we think of, things like the torch relay, um, the, um, the, the Olympic flame, were they happening at these first Olympics? No, 1936. Oh, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll wait for that we'll for about, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> the, the uh, Nazi Olympics was uh, played a role in the, the torch relay. And the flame as well? Yes. Yeah. Oh, interesting. All right, well, I know that will be a very interesting Olympics when we get to that one. And things like um, medals didn't come in until uh, 1904. And so a lot of the traditions of the, the Olympics uh, were not established. And, and athletes ran in their club colours or college colours. So there was no um, national uniform at that stage. Now, you mentioned the Americans dominated the track. Does that mean that they would have been considered the winners of those games if there were winners? I don't think people talked about who and who were the national winners because it was individuals running and um, running for themselves and for their clubs and their colleges rather than representing a country. So a long way from the kind of nationalistic event that it's become today then. Yes. All right, Richard, that's 1896. Thank you so much for being with us and you'll join us again next week where we'll do uh, 1900 and 1904. Yes, I'll be back. (laughs) Uh, Professor Richard Gashman, who's a sports historian in the School of Business at the University of Technology in Sydney.